On this episode, listen to my conversation with Melissa Fawziet, a small business marketing coach and event manager with international experience in event and brand management. Through her experiences with the biggest brands in the world, Melissa has learned the principles of building a brand, creating a marketing message, and reaching the right target markets. Melissa, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your backstory? So how did you come to specialize in small business marketing? That's a, an interesting question. And I think this, this path will tell you quite a lot about me. I actually, um, I'll take it back a little bit further. I did gymnastics for most of my life until my early 20s. That's a sport that kind of ends really abruptly. And you just sort of retire and you don't really know quite what to do with the sports side of your life. So I ended up getting work in international sport events and with the U.S. Olympic Committee. So I was doing all these contract projects all over the world. I worked in New Zealand. I worked in Torino, Italy. I worked in Vancouver, B.C. And that gave me an experience working with these really huge brands, uh, you know, some of the biggest brands in the world, and uh, managing events for the media because I was looking at that very specific client group. So uh, about six years ago, I moved to Seattle and I wasn't really quite planning to stay, but as sometimes happens, you go somewhere and then life begins to take hold. And I was finding it really difficult to get into the industry that I had been in, in this city because it's so insular and you really have to know people in Seattle and you really have to have had Seattle work experience. And from the process of networking and trying to meet more people, my business evolved. I accidentally said that I was taking clients and then got a client. So the event marketing business began. uh, And the marketing side really was a, a side that developed along the way because events are marketing. And it's a very complicated way to market. And in addition to that, it requires that you do a lot of Uh, different types of marketing to get people and the right constituents into the room. So what I found was that both my clients and a lot of my small business owner friends were requiring marketing advice and coming to me. And that actually evolved into an entire arm of the business. I would say now the more prominent arm of the business. You know, if I look back at it in this, the way I've described it, it seems like a really linear journey, but it was just a lot of sort of saying yes to things that were happening and letting it evolve in the way that it seemed to be evolving on its own. Did you say, I guess on your journey, did you say no to any opportunities? And if you did, why did you say no to those opportunities? Really good question. I would say that in my own business, not necessarily in the contract side of my career before I started my business, I didn't say no because it was more applying for jobs that you intended to take. And then if you got the job, that was great. But in my own business, I have actually said no to things. And that happens both with small and bigger projects. And I think that's part of the prospecting phase that you have with any client. Hopefully, that's the part of the process. Um, In the very beginning of a business, it can feel like you're in a really desperate situation. And maybe you're just trying to take any clients you can get. But it's actually... The sooner you can shift into saying, is this actually serving a purpose for my business? Is this in line with my brand? Is this in line with the types of other clients that I want to get? You know, if word of mouth starts to take hold in this circle, is this the circle that I want to be in? So I was fortunate to be able to start making decisions like that 
a little bit earlier in the game. And I think it's an important step to get to because not every client is the right client for you. And it may actually be hurting your brand more than helping if it's really like not in line with what you want to stand for. Yeah. So just delving that into a bit deeper, do you have any uh, clients yourself that have gone down the path of, I guess, where that prospecting process isn't as refined as it should be and they've taken on too many clients or too many of the wrong clients and are finding themselves overwhelmed and frustrated? Yeah. And, you know, I have to say that a lot of the clients that I work with, I mean, they're small business owners and in a lot of cases, they're micro business owners. So, you know, in the US, what that means is businesses of under 10 employees. And very rarely do those businesses have robust systems in place. Very rarely do they have a strategic plan that they've put in place that they've actively thought about and that they're looking at every year. So I would say that a lot of the clients that I work with are sort of running to keep up and they don't necessarily have a fully fleshed out picture of what they're running towards. So this is, a, I think, an important conversation for the majority of the people that I work with because the sooner you can start thinking about the big picture of your business, the better off you are. It sounds so easy to say it if you're in a position where you're really trying to meet your expenses and you need that income. It it's hard to say no to something that doesn't feel like the right fit. But if something really doesn't feel like the right fit, I encourage people to just take a pause and have more of a conversation with themselves about it than they might have otherwise, because it could hurt you in the long run. Yeah, I agree. Taking that short-term money and then having those long-term problems that sort of those clients that are always, you know, the high demand clients. It's true. And you know, actually your question was framed from the standpoint of prospecting, but I I have to say, you also have to be thinking about this with clients that you've already secured. You know, there's a client that I've been working with for a while that I recently let go because, you know, the relationship has changed quite a bit. Their priorities are not as fully in line with what mine are and how I want my reputation to be and how, you know, what circles I want to be in. And we came to that conclusion several years into the contract. And that's okay because in the first several years, it was a perfect fit. And that's excellent. And for me, that was actually like a good solid year worth of thinking, oh, is this still the right thing? And as I started to realize consistently that the answer was getting to be more and more no, I needed to do something about that as well. So just because you've secured the client, um, sometimes you have to take a big leap to walk away from that security but it's important to be checking in with yourself and what your business is all about all along the way. Yes, business is an evolving beast. And if it's not evolving, then it's really stagnating, moving backwards. It's always hard to drop a client. How did you approach that conversation, you know, especially after having that that long-term relationship with them? Yeah, what a tricky conversation to have. I think for me, Part of how I approached it with this client, also part of how I would approach it in my life or with anybody that things are sort of changing, I I wanted to be upfront about it, but also not leave them totally high and dry, right? So it it's very much about making sure that the systems that you put in place are well documented and that you've got you know good records that you've kept that you're willing to hand back over to them to say I know somebody else should be taking this on and I want to make it as easy as possible for them to do it. Um, I looked at the timing of when I did it and made sure that I had given them as much time as I could as they considered how to how to make decisions and how to fill that space if they wanted to. So I think 
for me, it was very much about being direct and clear, but not unfair in how I was presenting it. And I, I think if you kind of follow those guidelines in general, there you can find the way to do it. It's, and not everybody may end up totally happy with the solutions, but you just do the best you can with, you know, being forthright and making sure you're leaving those people in the best possible position to take over. Agree. You can only do what, you know, everything in your power to help them to a point. And it's part of passing the, um, them on to someone who can, who can better serve their needs for what they're looking for. Yeah. And very rarely would it be a situation where you feel like things aren't going right in the other side of the company, the, the other person can't even imagine that there's anything wrong. Like usually there's some sort of change in the dynamic that's happening that gets you to that place. Whether or not both sides are picking up on it is another thing altogether, but it doesn't just happen out of the blue. You know, for me, it was quite a long time of, of saying, oh my gosh, this is a really important uh, project for me and I'm an important resource for them and I want to take this very seriously, but I also want to get this to a place where it's as stable as possible so it's easy for them to backfill and that it's relatively easy for me to backfill as well. And I probably took on more risks than they did. Every situation is different, but I think that you can find where your moral line is. And I tend to err on the side of over-communicating. So for me, that's the right approach to make sure that people got what they needed from me in the process. Yeah, definitely a valuable skill to have and to foster in a business is to over-communicate because that's where issues arise, I guess, is where there's where there's a gap between what a client's expecting and what you're expecting and, and sort of bridging that gap through conversations. Yeah, it's so true. And I find it especially important in the line of work that I'm in. You know, when you do marketing consulting, a lot of people are reluctant to work on marketing at all in their businesses. It's very often an area that people are willing to put absolutely no thought to because it feels like something that's going to suck away their time and money. And it feels like there are all these other expenses and time commitments that are more urgent. And what they may not realize is that your marketing is directly tied to your sales. So at some point, if you haven't done that work, you're going to feel it by not having the money, the revenue to pay all those expenses that you consider so urgent right now. So for me, a lot of what I've learned about managing expectations and being, you know, over communicating and making sure people understand a realistic value is that I want them to understand how important it is to do this stuff for their business, whether they do it with me or not. And I also want them to understand that there's no quick fix, right? So you, you kind of have to walk that really interesting line of start doing it now and expect to be doing it for the life of your business. And that's something that's part of how I over-communicate to my own prospects and my own clients where I'm, I'm constantly saying to them, you know, this is important to do, make time and space for it and know that you'll have to keep doing that along the way. People are receptive to the idea that marketing is sales. I agree personally that, that marketing is definitely um, you know, a core factor of every business because if you don't have sales coming through the door, you can't generate the revenue or the cash flow to be able to support what your business does. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction, isn't it? Because for a lot of micro businesses, for a lot of small businesses, marketing is sales, right? You don't have separate departments for that. Sometimes it's like one person who's operating the entire business. 
And the distinction between marketing and sales is so subtle that it doesn't even register. But really the difference between those things is marketing is all about how you're putting your message out there and, you know, informing people who you are. It's probably more closely linked in some cases to PR, to public relations. It's really just about getting your message out there. And sales is about how that money comes back to you, how you're actually generating the revenue. And you can't do that if people don't know who you are and what you're doing. It's impossible, right? At some point, somebody has to have heard about you and think that they have a connection to your product or service for them to want to invest money in that. So there is no way around it. You absolutely have to do marketing in some way. There are a lot of ways to do it. The amount of time it might take for your business to do could vary. Um, there are some businesses that there's a more urgent pressing need for the customers than others. You know, if somebody like goes online and looks up dentist in their area, they might need it like really seriously right then or like mechanic, maybe your car is not moving anymore. You know, like you don't have a choice. You have to fix this now, but there are certain industries. Mine is one of them where people may feel like they've got more time. So you really need to factor all of that in when you think about how much time you spend getting the message out there. What do businesses need to have an effective marketing um, strategy in place? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And again, with that, I think taking time at all to think about the marketing strategy is important because most businesses I know haven't and they don't even know what they need. There are certain elements of a marketing strategy that we absolutely have to know if we're going to make headway. One of them is who we're trying to reach. Your target markets would be the term that I would use for it, but it's really just who would buy your stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's the only thing you really need to know. And there's probably many different types of people or many different types of other businesses that would buy your stuff. So it's important to flesh that out and to have a really clear picture in your mind of who you're trying to get the attention of. You can't really do anything if you don't know that part. And actually, you can't even really know that your products and services are the right products and services if you're not sure who you're trying to sell them to. So that's, to me, a huge part of it. A second piece of it is knowing what your brand is. You know, I think if you're going to be thinking about how to market, you kind of need to know who you are because otherwise you end up marketing in ways that have absolutely no way to attract the right people because they're not even resonating with what your business actually is. So to me, those two pieces are fundamental as a starting point of knowing who you're trying to reach and what your brand actually is. And then you can start looking at the ways to get in front of the people that you've identified. And there's so many ways to do it. You know, I think a lot of people think that marketing costs a lot of money, but I've seen people use part-time jobs as marketing uh, sources where they were getting paid and they were sitting in front of the right people. So there are a lot of ways to do it, but the third and most important piece of this equation is as you start getting in front of the people that you ultimately want to sell to, you have to be thinking about how it is that you're nurturing them. If you meet somebody once and they didn't buy your product or service right in that moment, they may actually be open to buying it the 10th time you talk to them. But you have to figure out how to get in front of them 10 times in a way that continues to build the relationship and not tear it down. And that's the stuff that we have to be thinking about. We have to be thinking about how to nurture the relationships all the way through. You know, building a marketing strategy is absolutely something that I love doing with my clients because if they've never thought about it before, they're missing, you know, you end up missing so many opportunities. So many people end up walking away from you who didn't need to. 
I think the more intentional people can be, even just to think about the word strategy and what that means for their business is critical because if you're approaching any aspect of your business with no strategy, then how is it supposed to go anywhere? Yeah, it's almost a stab in the dark. Actually, mm-hmm. I have a few questions based on what you've just said. The first is you talked about having a, uh, a business brand. I guess for some business owners, it can be hard to distinguish between uh, their business brand and their personal brand. Do you mm-hmm. see that there's um, some overlap with both or should a business brand, in your opinion, be separate? Oh, that's such a good question. And there's so many layers to that answer. First of all, there's a fundamental difference whether your business is just you or your business has a whole team. The more people that you involve in the business, the more employees you have, the more people you have representing you. You have to find a way to communicate, even if it is your personal brand, what is that? What does that actually mean? Let's put some adjectives to it. Let's describe what this is so that other people on your team can represent the same exact brand to your customers. So if it's a personal brand or not, it's very important to start documenting what it is in a way that can be replicated if you were to outsource work that you're doing. Because it can absolutely, anything that you want to do from a brand or marketing standpoint can be outsourced if you are able to communicate it properly. But there's another layer of the question that you asked that actually ties in with some questions that I usually get at like workshops and settings where people can come up to me and ask me questions about their business. And I think this is a point really worth addressing. Your brand is really about what's going to attract the attention of your customer. It's really not about what attracts you as the business owner. And I say that because it's hard enough to get people's attention these days. You know, if you're sending them a message that doesn't resonate for them, they are never going to pay attention to it. And you will have a very hard time getting a sale from that person if they have no idea that you're relevant to them. So our number one objective when we market is to get in front of our audience in a way that really resonates with them. And you want to like your stuff too. You want to be able to like your brand and your branding and all the content you're putting out there. But that's sort of the second test it needs to pass. The first one is, does this send the right message to my audience in a way that they're likely to pick up on it? And then within that, if you've got some options and how you do it, you can pick what resonates the most for you. For me, that answer has sort of those two levels. Like even if your business is just you, if you're a solopreneur out there in the world and it feels like, why do I need to think about this? Because I'm the only one who's doing it. You're really stifling the growth of your business. Unless and until you start to document and think about your business in a broader way, not just the owner operator, but the owner itself, until you've done that, you're never going to be able to get to a point where you can outsource that work, scale up, grow the business and really communicate it effectively. So then it comes back down to if, if you don't know exactly what your message is, then it's hard to put a, uh, a structure or a system around it. And if you can't do that, then you can't communicate it to other people. It's true. And I know that I make it sound really easy to do this, but you know, it's really just sitting down and, and honestly thinking about what you do. And there's an example I like to give sometimes where when I used to work in the like Olympic and Rugby World Cup sport worlds, we would have these really long, fancy job titles. And I consistently noticed that, you know, because in that world, those job titles, the second you say it, everybody around you knows what you do and who you work for and exactly what's in your purview. But outside of that world, 
it's like impossible for people to remember. They have no basis for understanding the context of your job title. And what I noticed was that when I would go and visit friends or family who were outside of that world, they would introduce me in ways that were just lies. Like, because they had heard me say what I do, but they could only remember a couple of keywords and then they filled in all the rest of the blanks themselves. And it was always flat out incorrect. And I never once did somebody introduce me correctly. So it makes you really think about how can I communicate what I do in a way that's so simple and gets into such a repetition in people's brains that they have no choice but to remember what I do. If you haven't done the work to figure out how to concisely talk about your brand and your business, there's no chance for other people to be able to walk away with a clear message. You know, it's worth just sitting down and thinking for you know, people who are listening to this. It's worth sitting down and thinking, can I describe what I do in six or seven words or less using only the most key words possible? And if you can do that, you actually stand a fighting chance of those people that are hearing the message remembering it later. Yeah, very true. What are some of your principles for building a business brand? There are a couple things that I think are really important in doing that. I mean, obviously, you need to have an understanding of kind of the overall mission that you're trying to serve. You know, what is the point of your business? Is what do you provide to your audience in terms of products or services? It's helpful to know that as a starting point, but I think there are a couple other things that we layer on top of it, you know, because you can have a number of different businesses that are offering the same types of products and services, and those would be competitors. But there is something that separates those competitors, and that's how you do business and how your customers feel about doing business with you. So that's the piece that I think really goes into the brand. And, you know, that might be looking at your values. What do you stand for? How are you going to show up for your customers every single day? That's something that can set you apart from a competitor of yours, no matter how closely linked your products are. And the other one I would say is how you talk to them, your, your tone. Regardless of what you stand for and what you offer, if they think that you're really funny, that might be what keeps them coming back to you. Whatever tone you decide to set, if they think that you're you know, somebody who can relate to them in a very neighborly way, maybe that's what they're looking for. These are a couple things that you can sort of layer on top of your mission that ultimately dictate what your brand is and how people can expect you to show up anytime that they would work with them. It can be a really overwhelming thing to think about because when you're in business, you have so many things that you have to think about day to day. The more you work to define these things, the better you'll feel about your business and the, the more likely you're going to end up working with customers that you actually wanted to work with. Sure. I guess when you have a, a core set of values, you can then rely back on that when, when times get tough or when you've got you know, too many opportunities to go ahead with, you can sort of fall back on your values and go, well, what do I stand for and what does the business stand for and which opportunities match with the values that I have? Yeah. And, and, you know, an example of that for my own business is actually as my business has grown and I've looked at needing to sort of replicate myself, I've done that a couple of ways, you know, in terms of who I contract and work with or even how I automate things in my business. But as I started to automate, I had a really serious thought process about this where I said, how automated do I want to seem? And the answer was not much. 
So I had to look at my business from a standpoint of where can I automate in a way that's going to make me more efficient and maybe in places where I was dropping the leads that I was talking to, maybe that's a place where I automate so that I stop dropping them because I already wasn't having any communication with them there. But I don't want to come out robotic with the people that I was in a discussion with. So I've really had to look at that. And to me, that was directly tied to a value. You know, I, I want to be encouraging and I want to be there. That's a decision from a value standpoint that has influenced me operationally. And I continue to think about that as the business grows because I want to know where my line is in how much I let go of and how much I'm not there in my business. Yeah, that, that can be such a hard line to, uh, to find where you stand as well. And it may shift, right? Yeah. I mean, and you may be finding this for you as well. Maybe it, it, that conversation has a sort of a different resolution six months from now than it did today. And it's why you have to keep asking the question. Yeah, it comes back down to um, what we were discussing before about businesses that are ever shifting and, you know, ever moving forward. And, you know, sometimes you've got to redefine or, or rediscover probably is a better word. Uh, rediscover what, what you stand for and what your business is, is all about because it will change over time as your client base changes and evolves. You will change and evolve yourself. Absolutely. And the moment you make one change structurally or strategically, it will have an impact down the road. You know, there's an exercise that I do and it's my favorite exercise to do with clients and in workshops, but it's also my favorite exercise to do for my own business where I, I create a marketing funnel that shows me step-by-step step, every time I talk to a new lead for the first time, what is the path that I'm taking them through to get them to be my best customer? And you know, how am I reaching out to them and how am I ensuring that I continue the conversation and you know, what channels are there in my business to bring them through and to really document that. So what I've noticed the first time I did that, it totally changed how I looked at my business and my plan was to do that exercise or revisit that exercise every single year. But I've noticed that my business has changed so fast because I've been doing this work that I actually have to revisit every six to nine months. And that is how quickly my business is changing right now because I'm in there. I'm watching what's working and what's not. I'm finding new things to experiment with. And I'm able to make really nimble changes because I'm constantly looking back at that structure I had set up and, and making sure that I'm staying on track with the new opportunities that come my way. Mm, it's that, uh, that constant iterative process. What's involved in building a, a high functioning marketing funnel, um, in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, so a marketing funnel, I might use that term a little differently than some marketing experts might, because sometimes when people say marketing funnel or sales funnel, they actually mean a software application that is designed to take people through it. If you, you know, land on a certain page, it's going to take them all the way through to a sale. I actually look at that in a bigger picture way because every aspect of your business could be just like that. It's more often looked at online. But if you meet somebody at a networking event, I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with clients on this and maybe something that's in their funnel might be, for example, attending a chamber of commerce event or some sort of business association event in their area. And I'll say, oh, great. How often do you attend those? And they'll say, oh, you know, uh, once a month. And I'll say, okay, uh, what's the next step? And they have no idea. 
And then I find out that they've been attending these meetings for one year, two years, three years, and they've literally never done business from them. And the relationships that they've built, it's like, yeah, I have a chat with those people in the room, but I've never actually partnered with them in any way outside of that. So to me, that's an aspect of a funnel, right? You can say, yes, I'm going to see these people once a month, but then we're going to sit down for coffee one-on-one. And then we're going to maybe talk about an exchange of services. And then maybe we'll start with verbally mentioning each other or mentioning each other in our newsletters. I mean, there's ways that you can build everything from the ground up and build every relationship, whether it's online or not. So to me, doing this exercise around looking at a what your funnel is, it's about saying, what is the marketing you're doing right now for your business? What are the touch points that you have with your customers right now where you're actually delivering information or offerings to them? What's the next step for them at every single point? How do you know how to bring them to the next place every single point in a way that's going to foster a nurtured relationship? To me, when I talk about it, it's just having a visual big picture of what is happening in your business when you talk to clients and where you're trying to direct them next. When you're helping clients go through this, uh, this process, what are the biggest roadblocks that you find that they have in, I guess, discovering it, refining it, optimizing it? Yeah. Honestly, the biggest roadblock people tend to have is that they are not thinking about their marketing in a coordinated way right now. So a lot of people that I work with and that I talk to, they might think of everything they do as just sort of a one-off. I'm going to do this Facebook post today. I'm going to do this campaign. I'm going to do this flyer. And they have actually no idea what the next step is. So their calls to action are really either not there at all, or they're weak because they don't know how, like, okay, yeah, it's great if you can say, I want you to pick up the phone. But when they do that, what's the conversation you're going to have? What I find is the biggest roadblock is that people are not already thinking about the marketing they do in a way that's intended to create this building effect. They're thinking about it as like a one-off. And I think what the challenge is with that is that not only are you sort of preventing yourself from creating strong enough relationships to have sales, but it also makes people think that any one thing that you do for marketing could make or break your business. To me, It's the aggregate of everything that you're doing. If I know that I need to reach somebody in my audience 30 times before they're going to buy something, I'm not just going to celebrate this one Facebook post that I did because yes, that's out there now. I know that I've got 29 more or maybe I'm actually bringing them to email or I'm trying to get them to sit down in person. And I'm actually thinking about all those things that I need to do. But when you're not thinking big picture, it can be really frustrating that you feel like you just did all this work to do this one piece of content and nothing happened with it. Well, of course, you know, like, cause it takes a lot of nurturing, a lot more nurturing than that. So you can't just look at one tree and imagine the entire forest around it. You really have to plant everything. <laughs> it's, it's a process. That's a great analogy. Nothing done in isolation and having the patience to see it out for the long term and not just throwing stuff haphazardly all over the place and just crossing your fingers, hoping that it, it'll work out, that you'll have that one post that'll go viral and that'll be the end of all your marketing worries. So yeah. And that was a great word, haphazardly. That was perfect, actually. That is how I would describe what most people are doing. But you're right. You can't just do one thing and hope it'll be viral. I mean, it's all about saying this is something I do consistently for my business all the time. 
And how am I going to keep that up? What can I do that I can keep up? Yeah, yeah. haphazardly was Agreed. a great word. What you can do consistently over time. And, you know, maybe it's not one big thing. Maybe it's a lot of little things. And maybe you don't start, you don't start 20 little things all at once. You might start to implement one small change this week and then another small change next week. And then you just build upon that and, you know, to build momentum. Yeah, it's so true. And, and I think for the people who are diving right into something that is a bigger campaign, how can you stretch that out? You know, if you're running an event, how can you make that last for six months? You know, how can you make the message of your brand? Cause it should be able to with something that big. But again, a lot of people are thinking about things in such isolation that they don't know how to extend the life of everything they're doing. That can be a, honestly a point of frustration for me because sometimes people will, you know, a, a good indicator that somebody should not be working with me is when they say, you know, what's the ROI of a consultation with you? It's like, well, I'm going to give you an hour's worth of here's your next steps. I don't have the magic bullet. If I had it, I wouldn't be marketing my business anymore. I market my business probably 20 hours a week at least, depending on what I'm doing. Um, in the beginning stages, way more than that. And, you know, there's nothing that I can tell you in one hour that's going to be the be all end all of your business. I'll never have to think about marketing again. In fact, I'm going to give you an action item. We have to realize that marketing is, you know, just like, and I wrote a blog about this recently, you know, like when you cook food and you eat it and then you get hungry again a few hours later, do you get angry? Like, what was the point of all that? You know, like, <laughs> well, you just, you have to eat, right? You have to clean your house in your business. You're going to be doing bookkeeping every single month. And these are just facts of your business and your life. Cause this is how we stay healthy in our business and our lives. And marketing is exactly the same, but for some reason people feel like there should be again, a magic bullet that is just sort of the, the only answer they'll ever need. And it's just not really like that. And it can be really overwhelming for people to think about it that way. But just remember that you always want to be telling people about the great work that you're doing. You know, you always want to be attracting new potential great customers and clients. So why not have marketing be an all the time activity? Yeah, agreed. People are looking for the quick fix. The one thing that they can do to boost their business. But you ended perfectly saying that it's um, if you want new customers, then you're going to have to continue to market your message to those new customers, as well as, it's, I guess, fo yeah. fostering the ones you have at the moment and balancing uh, both. Yeah, it's true. And if you're at a point where you feel like you've got the good balance and you don't need to grow your business more, then, then you can sort of go into maintenance mode more than growth mode, right? And, and that can maybe change the activities that you're doing and the frequency of them. But we never, the moment we take our foot entirely off of the gas pedal is when our business starts to die because you're not injecting that new life. You're not creating the opportunity for those sales and you have to at least be keeping up. If there's maintenance only that needs to happen, you just have to be doing it at a level that will keep with that. Yeah. There's, and I guess even with maintenance, there's still need for finding new customers because your old customers may not be the best suited they may move on, they may, you know, go elsewhere. So you always need, I guess, even a trickle of, of new, new customers coming in, even just to be able to maintain your business. Absolutely. Ideally, right? I mean, you don't want to be in a position where you're really strapped because a whole bunch of people who were great supporters of yours walk away all at the same time. Maybe they moved to a different city or maybe they just don't need your stuff anymore. You know, there could be any number of reasons 
why somebody wouldn't be your client anymore. And, you know, rather than kind of mourn that loss and have it end your business, you know, you really need to be looking at how you can keep fresh new faces coming in all the time and being exposed to what your business is. And really what I can say about so many of the people that I work with, and I, I imagine that you see this as well. Small business owners have often such passion for what they're doing and they really just eat, sleep and breathe what they do in their businesses. And you want to be able to share that message with people. So it's just about refining how you're doing it in a way that'll be more productive. But you know, if you're that passionate about something, you want to see people being served and helped by the business. That's it. And I guess it comes back down to doing the business for the right reasons as well and not just doing it for, a, um, for the money and you know, for, the, for the superficial items. Yeah. And for the people who are just doing it for the money, then you definitely want to grow. (laughs) You know, I see absolutely no downside to this, you know, like from every standpoint, we all need to be marketing. Right. But I think it is interesting what you say, because people have different reasons for being in business. And in a way, I almost think when people are in it just because they're looking for the money, the money of the business, I think that in a way, the fact that they don't have the emotional pull to it as much might help them make better strategic decisions and better sort of operational decisions about how the business works. There's an advantage to the small business owners who are passionate in that they can use that as fuel to do the work they need to do and to get their message out, but it can be distracting and it can really interrupt how you look at what's best for your business. So I I can see from either side of it, there's sort of a good and a bad point for both. But yeah, ultimately, wherever you fall in that, you still want the business to be healthy. That's it, exactly. And still need new customers coming through the door to be able to sustain the business. Absolutely. Melissa, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your work with ventures and how you're Mm -hmm. helping low-income entrepreneurs gain self-sufficiency. Yeah, what a great organization that is. I recently became the board president for Ventures, and I'm really proud of the work that they do. And this is really about working with people who are low income, have you know fewer resources, and yet are still trying to build their businesses and change their lives. In some cases, they're closer to the poverty line, and there's a, a sort of an income range. But the idea is it's hard enough to build your business when you feel like you have all the resources that you need. And when you don't, imagine what you could be contributing back to the economy if you just had a little bit of support. So, you know, Ventures started as a microfinancing organization, but the theory was that we really, it doesn't make sense to give you money if you don't know what to do with it. So uh, they have an eight week business basics course where you, you kind of get a sort of a crash course and the important things that you need to know in business to help build a business plan and to help you get set up. And then once you've gone through that, you get access to all these advanced services like free legal clinics and loans and you know advanced finance training and advanced marketing training. And there's all these great things they do. They have an incubator store. You know, in Seattle, we have the amazing farmer's market, Pike Place Market, and it's, it's open all year round every day. And we have an incubator store there. So somebody doesn't have to take on the investment of getting a day stall or, or booth or a whole storefront. They can get space in the venture store and 
see, you know, learn the lessons they need to learn about their product so that they're not taking on as much risk. So uh, they just do such amazing things. And it's very much in line with the type of impact that I want to have. And the type of impact that I often have with clients of my own, and this happens to be a group that has often even fewer resources. Yeah, no, it's incredible platform for, um, yeah, for low-income entrepreneurs to be able to just, you know, test their ideas in, I guess, a safe space and having that support around them to allow them to grow. And, you know, it just has an impact on so many levels because, you know, then you get access to a network of people, which is something that we all strive for where, wherever we started in our businesses, you want a network, I want a network, and we all need people around us to make the businesses happen and to make them grow and to be able to partner together. So that's a really important aspect of what we provide. But it's so interesting to me, you know, a lot of what I've created in my own curriculum, you know, I do speaking engagements and I have online courses and a lot of the way that I thought about creating all of that um, material was thinking about this type of client and thinking if you've got very few resources to dedicate to your marketing, how can I still help? And how do I need to present the information in a way that you can actually do something with it? Because I hear a lot of people give marketing advice that is not actionable by micro businesses. It is flippantly suggesting that they use money they don't have and will not use for the purposes that they're suggesting. And I want to be able to work with people in a way that they can actually do something right away that's going to help move them forward and within the constraints that they have. So it's working with that client base and hearing the types of questions that come up and hearing the type of information they need has really informed a lot of my own business and how I deliver my material, my offerings. That's incredible that there's a, each thing you're doing is supporting each other. It is. And, you know, I I told you in the beginning that I kind of accidentally started the business and it was an accident. I did accidentally tell somebody that I was taking clients and got a client from it without having any thought of starting a business. But I was already volunteering with ventures at that time. And I fully believe that the work that I was doing with them kind of got incepted <laughs> to me. Like I, I, like I just was around enough entrepreneurially minded people giving advice about how to do it right that I'm sure to some degree I attracted that accident and it was much, took advantage of the moment in a way that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't have that influence in my life. I think that you're right. I think that everything has very much become more enmeshed for me. And it's been perfect that it did because it's really uh, been a big influence on my own business. In fact, the first speaking engagement that I ever did was for the ventures entrepreneurs. And the one of the coaches from ventures suggested that I help co-present an advanced marketing class. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, me, you sure? And they said, yeah, I think that you would be perfect for this. I was like, well, yeah, I guess I, this is what I do in my business. I just hadn't thought about delivering it in that way. And so I met that moment of uncertainty by just preparing really well. And I came up with this whole lesson plan that I felt was really strong. And I, you know, I did a lot of research into how I wanted to present it in a way that I thought would get through to everybody. And I showed up in that class. It was a workshop. So the first hour I delivered the material 
The second hour, we worked on people's businesses in the context of that lesson. And at the end of two hours, I said, okay, everybody, we're done. Time to go. And there was a line of people that formed to talk to me. Wow. And I just thought, oh, (laughs) I get it. That's why I was doing this talk. Like, it was one of those moments where you think, you know what, whatever it was that was stopping me that I didn't think I'd be able to be relevant in front of a room like this, I'm putting that away right now because there are 20 people standing here to talk to me that say otherwise. You know, (laughs) like they're getting something from this. And it's actually something that informed me so much that I speak all over the country now. Actually, next year I'm going to New Zealand. So I just feel like, you know, everything that I've done has been very much connected. And I think maybe some of these stories help some of the people who are listening to your podcast really think about how the experiences they're having can connect and to make them not in isolation of each other, right? Like how can you really use these connections you're making in different places to build you and your business? Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, sometimes up to us as business owners to, you know, even just reflect and go to join the dots, I guess, you know, we have all the dots. It's a way of connecting between them and linking from experience to experience. And often, you know, sometimes completely different domains in our lives might actually be the catalyst of starting a whole new journey. It's true. And that is another thing that I find people sometimes prevent their own success. Because a lot of times when I'm talking about, let's say, word of mouth marketing, and I'll talk about, well, who's in your network right now that you could just tell them about your business? And a lot of times, like you'll start to feel a palpable discomfort in the room because people are thinking that they don't want to sound salesy to people in their lives. And my argument is you don't need to sound salesy. You just need to tell people what you do all day. It's actually kind of mean and kind of withholding if you've got these people that you feel like you know really well and you're purposely not telling them about what you do all day long. So you just never know who in your life from some other circle that you never might have connected actually has a reason to be interested in what you're doing. And until you start putting the message out there, even just a little bit, you won't find those people you're so right that you have to connect those dots. And sometimes it's just as simple as answering one sentence about what your business is to somebody. And they can say, oh, I really needed that. Or I know somebody who does. And you just created an opportunity to connect those worlds. Yeah, it's like serendipity sometimes. You have no idea who another person might actually know in their network. You think Mm -hmm. you might know, you think you know a person, but it's hard enough to know yourself let alone know someone else and let alone, let alone know the connections that someone else has with other people. And, you know, that might be the connection that you need to connect with the other person. And so it goes on. It's true. And, and sometimes people are looking for a reason to get to know you better. <laughs> you know, and like the, this is revealing something about yourself that you do so passionately and that you really believe in and can be a great catalyst for conversation. And maybe in that conversation, they tell you something about them and it gives you an idea. So I think we can be creating these opportunities for ourselves. And like you said, connecting the dots because nobody's going to do it for us. We have to think about that for our own businesses. Yeah, great. As as business owners, you're you're the last line of defense and you're um, 
you're definitely responsible for what happened. You can't put the blame on someone else. So you, you've really got to be putting yourself out there and connecting. Actually, connection is one of my, um, I've got five values and it's one of them that I have written up on my wall is, um, is connecting and fostering and giving back in the relationship. So it's something that I sort of live and breathe deeply. Well, having this forum is a great way to, to hold that value, isn't it? Because oh, it is. not only do you connect with people in this conversation, but you're connecting your audience with those people and just the way that you can grow your own network through it. I, I think it fits perfectly with, with that particular value. It's great to hear that you have really thought about your values. Not everybody has. Yeah, I've spent probably the last six months or so really sort of digging deep and, and discovering what they are and, you know, my makeup and who I am as a person and who I'm becoming. Well, did that change anything for you in terms of like when you sat down and worked through that exercise? Were were there any surprises or any things that got reinforced for you that you thought, oh, I have to do more of this other thing because it's not coming across as much as I want it to? Like, how did it influence you? Yeah, definitely. So um, my my third value that I've got written down is open-mindedness. And it was definitely something that I hadn't been doing much of that I needed to do because of the pain I went through previously that where not being open-minded had really hindered me. And it was the lesson that I sort of kept repeating. I had to really understand, well, why was that? Actually, it was a link between probably open-mindedness, vulnerability and transparency. And the mm-hmm. Those three, it was definitely through pain and repeated sort of repeating those lessons and going, okay, well, that's, that's the reason why I've making, I'm making the same mistake. What can I do differently? And it was hard to begin with. It was really difficult to just be more open and be more vulnerable with others. Yeah. What an interesting multidimensional way to look at it too, because when I talk with clients about establishing values, I guess I frame it from the standpoint of what do you want to be, what do you want to stand for? But I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of the time they're already thinking about, they're thinking about things they already do. I like that you used it as a really much more active personal growth exercise where it was like, what's been going wrong? And what, what can I link back to all of those things and to make a value that fights that? It's a really interesting approach. Yeah. And it was, I was sort of getting to the, um, to the point where if I didn't, didn't take the time to reflect and to really understand who I was, it would be a problem uh, that would keep cropping up for the rest of my life. So it's, it's definitely something that I'm grateful for spending the time in doing. I guess it was hard to know at that point what you mentioned, like, you know, what, what's the ROI for spending time in finding yourself? And it's, it's hard to put a number around it because there isn't really a number, but I can just tell from personal experiences, the, the opportunities and the experiences that I've been able to have since doing the exercise and since taking the time to really discover who I am. Yeah. The value we get back is oh. it can be measured differently for mm. sure. And the work that you did probably influences not only your business, but how you conduct your life. And it probably does it in ways that in the moment you can recognize. And then other times it might influence it in ways that are more subliminal and you don't even really realize that your new approach is actually changing how you are handling it something. But because you did so much thinking around it, it's just kind of in there guiding you. And there's no way to measure those things. And yet we're all in this space where we're looking to be able to measure things. <laughs> so it's like at some point 
you have to have a way to be more subjective about your analysis and say, well, this one is going to be not something I can measure quantitatively. It's just something that I know that there's a change. Great. And I, I come from a, you know, I'm, I'm quite analytical in what I do. I love having metrics around everything and I love tracking everything. And I have for a long time, probably for almost as long as I can remember. I remember it high school tracking how many hours I would study week on week and track that. So it's, it's heavily mm -hmm. ingrained. So to go from, a, from an analytical approach to a subjective approach, sort of eye-opening and go, you know, maybe there are some aspects of life that can't be measured or can't be measured in the way of numbers. It might have to be measured in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I think these things can't be pulled apart. I mean, and, and it's, you know, exactly the same as my example of accidentally telling somebody that I was taking clients and getting a client from that conversation because they happened to come in contact with somebody who needed my exact services a week later. I would never have strung those words together had I not been volunteering with an organization already that works with entrepreneurs and talks in those words. In a way, everything that I have in my business can be attributed to that moment. And yet, there, how do you put a value to that? There is no sort of number that I can put to that, but it, I'm very aware that those words would not have come out of my mouth six months earlier because I wouldn't have even known to formulate words like that. You know, it's like if you've ever had a dream in another language that you don't speak, but you just like, you know that it's the other language. Maybe this is just me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't dream much. I dream, I dream occasionally. I've never dreamt in, a, in another language, but that'd be really cool. Sometimes I find that, the, and it could be language, or sometimes I just find that in a dream I have a skill. Like I, I'm an expert in something that I definitely know nothing about. I've never spent a moment thinking about it in my waking life. And whether or not there's any amount of accuracy in how I'm doing it in the dream, I fully accept in the dream that that is what I'm doing. And where does that stuff come from? And I think it's, I feel the same way about that as I do about how my business started. And I think that there's a connection there even with the work that you've done in setting your values and like all the little butterfly effect changes that has on how you approach day-to-day -day life that could lead you down a different path. Just because you did work however many months ago to think about what you want to stand for you know, it helps guide us and it sort of stays, stays in you and you never know when it's going to influence something you say or do. Mm, agreed. I mean, it probably it influences a lot of what I do, but you never know what the impact of that will, will have going forward. It's true. And hey, if any of your listeners can relate to the dream thing, <laughs> yeah, I feel contact. like I just... <laughs> said too much or something. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> Maybe nobody else has had this. It's really interesting for me. Hope other people have had this experience as well. <laughs> uh, oh, Melissa, man. I guess before we wrap up, a question that I like to ask all guests is, what's your definition of the grind? My definition of the grind is what every day of my life looks like. <laughs> um, I place high value on hard work. And it's not just about what you get. Sometimes it's about doing things that nobody will notice except for you that are going to move you forward in some incremental way and set you up better 
and make you stand for what you want to stand for. And sometimes those things take a lot of your time. But I think that the grind is just day in and day out doing what you know you need to do to move forward, whether or not you're immediately seeing a return on that or you're immediately seeing other people notice it. I think that it ultimately leads to something. And Melissa, where where can people get in contact with you if they want to find out more about what you do? Well, the best way to find me, just to give one resource, is my website at melissaforziatevents.com. And from there, there's all different kinds of things that you could find. Uh, I have an awesome community of uh, small businesses on Facebook. So join us there. You know, I've got free marketing advice blogs that I give every single week in marketing tips of the week. I've got a free ebook with tons of information on how to market your business on a budget. So there's a lot of resources. If you can just get to the website, you can explore it and find what you need. And yeah, that's a, that's, I think that's a good starting point for anybody. I'd love to hear from people who listened to this podcast. Incredible conversation. Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to, to come on, come on board. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for creating a forum like this. Cause I know, you know, one of your values is connection and I think that you're creating that here. So hopefully people are really using the opportunity to get new ideas and hear some different thoughts and maybe have that work into their own lives. So yeah, thanks for creating this community and for having me on it. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.